Good to see you. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. And uh, just hope it's a great day for you. I uh, heard the other day, and I, I did not look it up on Snopes. I heard it on the radio that of all of our holidays that we celebrate in the United States, Father's Day ranked 15th. And I thought, man, I didn't even know we had 15 holidays in uh, the U.S., and it ranks 15th, and it's behind, uh, down behind Halloween even. And so I don't know what that says, but, uh, but that's kind of the way it is. Uh, Dad's so good to see you today, uh, really is. I, I, message is not necessarily uh, geared towards Father's Day, but for 15 years, I taught at the Dell Diamond, many of you guys, and, and uh, I would start you off with an anecdote. So I figured today women could put up with my uh, anecdote uh, for this morning. Guys, this is for you. But uh, there was a man who was uh, very ill. In fact, he had just gotten very ill and so he and his wife go to the doctor, and as they're in with the doctor, the doctor examines him and everything, and then he, he asks the man to leave the room and ask the wife to stay. And uh, she said, Doc, what's wrong? He said, well, I got to tell you, your husband is very, very sick. However, I think that I've got the uh, way for him to be better. And she said, what is it? He said, well, first of all, you've got to keep the home as peaceful as possible. And when he uh, wants to sleep in or sleep on the couch in front of the TV, you need to let him do it. You need to fix his favorite meals all the time, and you need to keep the kids quiet. You need to keep the house immaculately clean, and uh, when he has amorous feelings, you need to go with it, and, uh, and uh, this is what you need to do. And uh, she left the office, and they, the wife and the husband walked to the car, and he's just all antsy, and said, said you got to tell me what he said. What, what did he say? And she said, you're going to die. So, happy Father's Day. There you go. But we are in Galatians chapter 5 today. We're, we're going to actually wrap up Galatians next week. Brett's going to be in chapter 6. And, uh, but today we're in chapter 5, verse 13. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I feel like every time we approach the Word of God, it, lives hang in the balance. Uh, I think today is no exception to that. And so, but before we read the scriptures, let me kind of set the uh, plate for you a little bit. There was a, a little girl, and uh, she couldn't sleep at night. She uh, just couldn't sleep. So she got out of bed went to her parents' room, and 
awakened dad with that stare, if you've ever been there. I remember that stare. And uh, he says, what's wrong? And she says, I can't sleep. I I think there's something in my room. And uh, he said, there's nothing in your room. Just go back. And so she went back. And a little while later, she's back and uh, staring at him. He he opens opens his eyes. And so what's wrong, Dad? Uh, There's something in my room, and it, it, it frightens me. And the dad said, you need to, and then he pulled out the God card, you know, how we do. And he said, God is in there with you, and he will protect you. He'll take care of you. God is in there with you. So she went back to her room, peeks around the door frame, and says this out loud. God, if you're in there, please don't move or you'll scare me to death. And I tell that story but there's a bit of truth in that story. Most of you in this room believe in God. Most of you in this room have even made a decision for Christ somehow to be your Lord and Savior. And yet, if God were to really move in your life, I'm not sure you would accept it. I'm not sure you want a God that close to you because it will mean change, right? It will mean something has to alter itself because even though we've made a decision for Christ, we've been born again, so to speak, we still have a tendency to want to flesh it out and live lives on our own terms. It's been said before by many preachers that there are certain churches that if the Holy Spirit were to remove himself today, many of these churches would go on for months, maybe years, and not even know it. And that that, uh, convicts me because I think think we've got well-organized, we've got... uh, good spirit, we got inspiration, we got all those things right here at uh, Central, we invest our finances, but how much of it is done in the flesh and how much is done according to God's spirit? And if God were to remove his spirit from Central, how long would it take us to recognize it? I I'm afraid to make it even more personal. I think there's people that call themselves Christians that if the Holy Spirit were to be removed from their life, they would just go on as normal. Because at some time they made a decision for Christ, but they came to that decision, oh God, you forgive me of my sins. I come to the cross, you know, forgive me. And we get goosebumps and chill bumps and all that kind of thing. And then what happens is we, uh, we flesh it out after that. And so God never intended for the, that way. And uh, if God were to remove his Holy Spirit from you, what would change? What literally would change? Well, we're in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Let this be a backdrop for where we're going today. <laughs> I'm going to read through verse 26, so uh, hopefully you have your Bible or devices. It will be on the screen. 
Uh, allow me to read. It says this, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. <laughs> Let me stop just a, a moment. The, the theme of the whole book of Galatians is freedom, freedom in Christ. We don't understand freedom very well, as I talked about last week. But if you were to look at freedom, there are three elements of freedom, okay? First of all, there's freedom from the penalty of sin. When you come to Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. Your, your life is not measured by your sin anymore. Your life changes identity. You're free from the penalty of sin. Secondly, you're free from the power of sin. You no longer have to walk and live your life under the influence of sinful behavior. You no longer have to. Oftentimes we do. I know many Christians that are bound up in some uh, sin areas. But you're free from the penalty of sin. You're free from the power of sin. And then one day, you ready for this? You will be free from the presence of sin. This is complete freedom that is in Christ. And Paul is trying to get this across to these people because they have uh, received Christ, but then they're trying to keep the law to flesh it out. It's not working. Verse 16, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For if the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, and he lists them out. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking in, uh, one another, envying one another. The, if you were to look at this passage, what Paul is describing is a warfare. Okay, He's describing a warfare in the life of believers. 
He's writing to believers. And so uh, he's talking about this warfare. And there's two uh, people in this warfare, uh, two entities. One is the flesh, the other is the spirit. But notice what he says in verse 16. He said, but I say, walk by the spirit. What does he mean by walking by the spirit? He means life is a journey. It's a process of growing. You're not today what you will be in a month. You're not today what you'll be in years. You're in a process of growth. And God wants to uh, develop Christ in your life. But this walk is a process. It's a journey. It's how we conduct our lives day to day, okay? Uh, For the believers, you need to hear this. We were born into a battle. And we don't want to talk about that. We talk about the freedom, but we don't want to talk about the battle that we were born into or born again into. And there's a battle. All of you see it. You see the results all around you. And the picture that Paul has given here is trench warfare. It's two armies that have trenched in. They become entrenched, uh, much like World War I, you know, we're in the no man's land between them, but they were trenched and they were entrenched and you try to get the other one off. And he's given this picture of the flesh and the spirit and you're going to make a decision on which trench you're going to be in. And uh, he talks about this in this battle. And all of you are in a battle. And you need to hear this today because the battle is getting a little bit more intense every day. And many of us do not know that we're in this battle. It, when you come to Christ, it's almost like what happened when we took the Pacific Islands in World War II, uh, namely Iwo Jima. You remember? Uh, if you know anything about history, the way we take these islands, and the reason we were getting these islands is it uh, would be shorter for our aircraft to get to uh, Japan. And so what happened was is the bombers would come over the island and they would just pound the, the heck out of those islands. And what would happen is it would drive the enemy underground uh, into their caves. Well, what would happen after the pounding is then the, the soldiers would come and develop a beachhead on the beach. At that point, actually the island would belong to whoever had the beachhead. But we know that the battle had just begun because what is going to have to happen now is they're going to have to root the enemy out and take care of the enemy. So the island is yours, but you've got to root out the enemy. And so when you came to Christ, it was like the Holy Spirit of God used something or, or he may use the circumstances of life to just bomb you, okay? And you became soft of heart, and you received Jesus. And he took up that beachhead in your life. But what has happened, and we have been poor 
at leading young believers to hear this is that the rest of your life, you're going to be in this process of Christ-likeness that is going to be rooting out the enemy in certain places and getting rid of him. And so this is what it looks like. And, and Paul is dealing with this trench warfare. The first entity is the flesh. Well, we all have flesh, right? We all have uh, certain pigment colors. We have, uh, uh, I was blessed with freckles. Uh, some of you were not that blessed. Um, but all of us, some are fair complected. My wife just thinks about the sun and she turns dark. I just automatically turn red. Uh, but the flesh is not our pigmentation epidermis, okay? The flesh is to live according to the fallen nature, that nature that is not Christ-like, the nature to elevate self, self-centeredness, self-indulgence, self-will. And, and this is what I've discovered, and I'm talking from personal experience. When my tanks get dry, my physical tank gets dry, my spiritual tank gets dry, my emotional, uh, mental, soulish t- uh, tank gets low. What I do, I don't run to Jesus. I have a tendency to default to my fleshly nature. That's why it is so important on a daily basis you take care of your tanks. Because when your tanks are full, Jesus is everywhere. But when they start to empty, the flesh creeps in. And I I love what the hymn writer, favorite writing in a hymn, because it describes me. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I don't think I'm the only one. I think that we all have a tendency to prone to wander. But... What is the result of this flesh nature? Well, uh, Paul lists out many, and I will try to deal with some of them because I think this is describing our day. Notice he starts out sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. These deal with uh, uh, your lifestyle, your personal lifestyle when it comes to sexuality. And we live in a day which is sexually confused out the hilt, man. We, we don't have a clue sometimes. And our world doesn't have a clue. The word sexual immorality is perneo in the Greek. You can tell what, what, what word we get from that. Pornography. Uh, it is that self-indulgence in this uh, sexual way. Impurity. It's an unfit way of living. And sensuality, here's what the definition is, the original definition. It's throw off all restraint. Man, does that not describe our day? We've thrown off all restraint. Anything goes today. Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he said this. He said, you've lost the ability to blush. Is that our, not our day? I mean, we've lost the ability to blush. 
things that come into our homes now, things that we see, things that we experience, we wouldn't have dreamt of. But yet, here we are. We cast off restraint. Then he mentions others. Idolatry, which is worshiping man-made things. He says sorcery. Sorcery, actually, uh, it's a term dealing with drug abuse, substance abuse, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, drunkenness, orgies. I think he's just read our news today. And he says this, people who live these kind of lives will not inherit the kingdom. Well, what does that mean? He's writing to believers. Is he saying they can lose their salvation? I don't, I don't believe so. Because I am, a, I am a believer that when I take the totality of scriptures, I believe that God is strong enough to hold me. And I, I'll be honest, I have sinned more since I've been a believer than I was a non-believer. And so I've got to believe that Jesus took all those sins on the cross pre-Jesus and post when I became a Christian. However, this reading seems to be, if you live that kind of lifestyle, then uh, you're not fit for the kingdom. And the kingdom is what it's all about. Paul deals with this in the book of Corinthians as well. He lists out this group of fleshly sins and he said, once, once again, they will not inherit the kingdom. I think what, what uh, is getting across from Paul is this. He, he deals with it in Romans 8, 9, and 10 also. He's basically saying this. If you've tasted of Christ, if you believe he is the redeemer and Lord of your life, in other words, you're married to Christ, why would you want to live like you're single? Why would you want to do that? It just doesn't make sense. So he deals with the flesh, and then he deals with the spirit. Notice there's a capital S in your Bible. This is the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a, a theological premise that I hold to as I study the Word of God. I believe that you cannot come to Jesus unless the Holy Spirit draws you and delivers you, okay? So, in other words, when do you receive the Holy Spirit? You receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. And Romans 8 says, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead indwells you. And, and I, I got to be honest. There's days when I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, if you're in me, I'm just not living it. I'm not living it. And, uh, and so I believe that. But we can squelch the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can yield to the Holy Spirit and be uh, more filled. But I believe you receive. You cannot be born again without the Holy Spirit. So... The Holy Spirit, so who is he? He is God inhabiting you, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Man, hear that. 
we, we, don't even, we don't even think about that. We just think, oh, I've got to live my life on your own. No, you don't. The Spirit of Christ inhabits you. But what is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life? I'm going to give you uh, six thoughts on the Holy Five. Uh, five thoughts on the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Number one, he draws us to Christ and the gospel. He draws you. You cannot come, you, you do not come to Christ on your own. He chose you. He draws you to him. The old word is wooing. It's like a courtship. Uh, a young man wants to court a young lady. He woos her. He does what he can to draw her to like him. And uh, God is in the process of drawing us to him. He will show us his love. He will demonstrate his love. He, uh, he will not force himself on you. He's wooing you towards him. He loves you so much. So uh, he draws us to Christ and the gospel. Second law the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You cannot come to Christ if you don't know you're separated from God because of sin. And, and we have a tendency in our culture to, uh, to not let anybody get uncomfortable. And so what we do is when you're dealing with sin in your life and it's broken you, our tendency is, oh, just say this little prayer and you'll feel better. No, you need to wrestle with that. You need to wrestle with God just as Jacob wrestled with God. You want to wrestle until you have breakthrough in that area. Yes, it's a free gift. Yes, it's a gift of grace. But that sin has bound you up and you've got to deal with it. And so I think, and I've got to be careful here because I don't want to create doubt. I want to allow the Spirit to bring conviction. But we've got to really be careful with our children and saying, don't you want to go to heaven? Well, everybody wants to go to heaven. But what about the sin, the brokenness that we have to deal with? And so the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And there must be conviction and brokenness over the sin in our day. Uh, last week, there was somebody visiting. You may be in this room. And uh, they, they came up to Pam. And, uh, you know, God was very present last week I felt as we talked about distractions and she asked the question why do people not go up to the altar and pray why? He, he delivered the message why did people not come to those steps and just pray before God and this was a guest asking this question and we make up excuses right we make up excuses. Oh, they're not used to it. Well, the kids will do it at camp. Why don't they do it here? Uh, you, you may do it in your home group. Why don't you do it here? And so we make up excuses on why people don't come to the altar. 
We don't measure by people coming to the altar. And the, granted, that's true. But what's it going to take for people to become broken over their sin, over the sin of our church, the sin of our nation? What's it going to take? And so I am wrestling with that as my wife has shared that with me. And I happen to be listening to a message by a, a revivalist uh, by the name of Leonard Ravenhill. He, he died decades ago, but I'm listening to him speak. And he said, you got to remember, I'm wrestling with it. And he comes to the point of his message. And he said, you know, he said, the reason your people may not come to the altar in brokenness over their sin and over the sin of the church and the sin of the nation because maybe they don't come because you as the pastor are not broken over them. Oh, that destroyed me. And I thought, I got to ask your forgiveness. I pray for you. But when is the last time I actually wept over something you're going through? I have. And I thought, oh God, if it's me, I, I ask your forgiveness. But I ask your forgiveness. We got to deal with the sin. We will not fully embrace Christ until we experience the pain of our sin. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit cleanses us and transforms us. The Holy Spirit is the one that we become new creations, born again, born of the Spirit, these terminologies that the Bible used. You become a new creation in Jesus Christ. Why? Because you turned over a new leaf? No, because you died to self and the Spirit inhabits you. Fourthly is this. The Holy Spirit bears fruit in us and through us. In us and through us. And notice he lists out the fruit of the Spirit. He says, begins with love. And, and many commentators will say, love is love because he's dealt with through love, serve one another. You love your neighbor as yourself. Love, it's that agape love. It's that unconditional, I love you regardless. Regardless of the, your lifestyle, regardless of what you've done to me, I love you. Love, joy, not circumstantial joy, but deep-rooted joy. Peace, Patience towards others, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, in other words, you're reliable, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit develops this fruit in our life. So if I'm not seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life, whose fault is it? I have somehow kinked the hose, you know? Number five, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life of purity and purpose. You know, uh, VBS, a couple of weeks ago, 
we, uh, we dealt with Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship, his masterpieces, created for good works in Christ Jesus. You memorize that verse. But we were created for a purpose, and the Holy Spirit inhabits us to do these good works. Oftentimes, I think we as a church, and, and this is just conviction of my heart, sometimes it's like we're in a ship out in the water, and we're rowing. It's, it's, we're rowing, rowing, rowing. Some are rowing the correct way. Some are rowing fast. Some are rowing slow. But we're all building a sweat as we're rowing. We're not really making too good of progress, but we're rowing, rowing, rowing. And then somebody suggests, hey, why don't we unfurl the mast in the sail and uh, let the wind blow us? And then we do that, and the next thing you know, we're moving. And then we're, it seems effortless at that time. We were meant to be indwelt by the Spirit of God so that He blows in us and through us. And it's not a have to, it's a get to. We get to live this life under the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to drudge through it, but we get to do it. And if God calls us to do certain things, uh, He's going to empower you to do it. If I were to take you as a group today, the U.S. Open golf tournament is going on right now, final day, I were to take you and put you in a twosome with another professional golfer and say, I want you to compete uh, out there with those golfers. Well, everybody's going to say, I can't do it. I, I, I just cannot do it. And I say this to you. What if I took Tiger Woods in his prime and I put his spirit inside of you? And if you yield to him, he will play the golf tournament for you. There's a good chance that we're going to win him in his prime. But we have to make the choice at that point. Am I going to try to flesh it out? Yeah, Tiger, you're in there, but I'm going to do this on my own. No, that's ridiculous. You would want the spirit of Tiger Wood to do your golf. Now, that's, uh, that can illustrates and falls short on so many ways, but the spirit of the creator of all indwells us, and he wants us to live according to that spirit. So how do we do this? That it's one thing I tell you, walk according to the spirit, but how do you do it? Uh, three quick things. Number one is you got to deal harshly with sin and yield to God. You got to deal harshly with sin and yield to God. Confess or repent. I, I was reading in uh, 2 Timothy this morning, my quiet time, and it says in a home there's vessels of honor and there's common vessels. In other words, you got your china and you got uh, Tupperware. You got those in your uh, cabinets. And so, it, it, and he goes on to say, it doesn't matter if you're uh, China or Tupperware, God's going to use you for the purpose that he's going to use you for. However, if those cups are dirty, he's not going to fill them up. 
And so we need to keep short accounts of sin in our life, and, and uh, especially in the area of broken relationships. So we deal harshly with sin and we yield to God. Number two, we walk in obedience. We walk in obedience. We walk in obedience the best we know how at the moment. And Acts 5.32 says this, And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You walk in in obedience. You're loving people unconditionally. You're walking in the best way you know how, uh, according to his spirit. And you, you walk in obedience. So you deal harshly with sin and yield to God. Number two, you walk in obedience. And number three, you ask him to fill you. Luke eleven thirteen says this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's talking about prayer here. He's saying, ask me. Ask me to fill you. You've confessed. You've, you've dealt with harshly with the sin in your life. Uh, secondly, you're walking in obedience. Ask me. I want to just conclude with three questions. And these are quickly and simple. No, they're not simple. First question is this. Is there a sin area in your life that you're clinging to today that you're sensing the Spirit's conviction to deal with? Is there a sin area you're clinging to in your life? And I know somebody gives kind of... Oh, Jesus took all those sins of the cross. Yeah, your relationship is set, but what about your fellowship? I, I, uh, we got to admit we all fall on a daily basis, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to beat you up. I'm saying this of the truth of God's word. But uh, why do people not come to the altar? Are we walking in shame? People will think something's wrong with me. Hey, I'm the first one to say things are wrong with me, okay? And uh, uh, you still let me preach. And, but is there a sin area you're clinging to today? Number two, is there an area of your life where you are not walking in obedience? It's obvious God has uh, uh, led you a particular way. Is, are, you, are you not walking in that, or you're rebelling, you may be wondering why your life is spiritually anemic. And I sometimes ask myself this, is there anything that is going on in my life that I'm attempting but God's instruction that if I do not, if he does not come through, I will fail? In other words, it's a faith step. Is there anything going on in my life that I've stepped out in faith on the branch, on the limb, 
And if he doesn't come through, I'm, I'm sunk. And I sometimes think about that as a church. We're a great church. We're well, very well organized. But are we walking by faith? And then thirdly, third question is this. Are you willing and ready to ask God to fill you today? Do you really desire the king of the universe to be in charge? I know, I know the super spiritual side of us says, Oh yeah, I want God to be in charge. We call him Lord. We call him owner. We call him majesty. We call him king. Yeah, but if we're going to call him Lord and majesty and king, that means that he's in charge and that means you're not in charge. 